Waiting, hoping, praying. Creation held its breath for the arrival of a rescuer, but the eager anticipation of the elite wouldn't expect the arrival of this kingdom coming. One that wouldn't intensify the ironclad, but instead strike the status quo. A movement meant for more than men, re-envisioning the recipients of the kingdom offer. But this greater beauty battered, which should have amazed, offended. A gift meant to receive, refused, betrayed, snuffed out, destroyed. But for only three days, forgiveness fired back at finality, agitating the ash and shaking loose what had for a time completely covered the landscape of the kingdom. Then once and for all, the Risen One rose up and made right, redeemed and restored the radiance of his glory for all eternity and ours. Welcome, everybody, to our Easter services. It is so good to be with you in whatever environment you're in right now, your living room, your kitchen, wherever it might be. And I just want to give a special shout-out to all of our students, 8th grade and under. If you remember last weekend, I gave an opportunity to count how many times I said good or goodness and then turn that in. Well, you did a great job, and we're sending out the prizes this coming week, so enjoy. Now, this weekend, Easter weekend, I want to invite you to do something a little bit different. So those of you who are eighth grade and under, if you want, grab your crayons or your pencils or your pen, a piece of paper, and I'd love for you to just sketch out some scene that has something to do with the resurrection story that we're going to look at this weekend. Then you can scan it and email it or just mail it to us the old-fashioned way, and at each of our campuses, we're going to create a gallery with your art. Put your name on that, your age, and what campus you normally attend. When you come back, you're going to see this great uh, wall with all your artwork up there. It's a wonderful way for me to remember you and for us to stay connected. So uh, grab your stuff and get ready to do that if you choose to participate, and I hope that you will. Well, I never would have thought that I would be doing Easter online because the doors of churches all across America and around this world were closed because of a pandemic. But here we are. And I have to tell you, it's, it's really an odd and challenging time, isn't it? I mean, we're supposed to be moving into spring when you feel like you're coming alive and there's, you know, there's color out and, and it's getting warmer. It feels really good. But emotionally, it almost feels like we're moving into a winter. And I don't know about you, but it just, it just feels like a steady stream of bad news when you turn the television on. Besides that, stocks are down, unemployment is up, and you've got parents who are trying to work at home while at the same time they're trying to be the principal, the teacher, the hall monitor, and run the cafeteria of the kitchen. That's not easy for them or students, right? And add to that the fact that you can't go to your favorite restaurant, your favorite coffee shop, your favorite entertainment venue. Besides that, what's there to watch on TV? You got to watch old reruns of sports that were played last year or great moments in sports history or watch Hallmark. I had to get that in. So there's all these things that are, that are taking place. And, you know, I especially feel for those of you who are, are, are in a situation where you're isolated, like many of our friends who are in senior living centers that can't go out to see family and friends, and friends and family can't come in to see them, and it feels very lonely. You begin to wonder, is there any good news? 
You know, I think that's how the disciples of Jesus must have felt. Is there any good news? I mean, these guys had left everything to follow Jesus. They gave up certainty. They gave up security. They gave up their homes, their business, to go follow the young rabbi who said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He said he was God. He said, if you see me, you've seen the Father. And he invited them to go turn the world upside down. And they went with such great expectations. After all, Jesus seemed very legitimate. I mean, when he spoke, he spoke unlike anybody else. He didn't give his opinion or quote some other rabbi. He spoke like he was the authority. And miracles, my goodness, made the blind to see, the deaf to hear, the mute to speak. He healed people of, of all kinds of diseases. He delivered people who were possessed by demons. He even raised people from the dead. There were so many dreams and expectations that his followers had. But they all came crashing down on that Friday when they saw Jesus, who'd been arrested, beaten, bruised, and carrying the crossbeam of his cross up to Skull Mountain, where they crucified him with a couple of criminals next to him. That day when Jesus died on the cross, the dreams and hopes of those men and women who were following him as well seemed to die with Jesus. It was so sad. It felt so hopeless. It was all bad news. Some of them even witnessed Jesus taking his last breath. Some perhaps heard his final words, it is finished. And they felt like they were finished too. It was a dark Friday. As Jesus' body was taken down and placed in that tomb, he was dead, he was gone. On Sunday, things seemed to change dramatically. In fact, it seemed like things were changing minute by minute. See, that morning, some women had gone to the tomb in order to finish the embalming process of Jesus' body. But when they got there, the stone had been rolled away and his body was gone. Peter and John found out about it and they ran to the tomb. And sure enough, when they looked in, no body, just the grave clothes neatly folded there. Who had taken Jesus' body? Where had they placed it? Rumors began to circulate that he was alive, that, that people had actually seen him. Mary Magdalene said that she saw him and spoke with him. What was the truth? The disciples were worried. Were they next? Were somebody going to come for them? They were hidden behind locked doors in a room somewhere in Jerusalem. And while they were there, other disciples who had been associated with Jesus had made their way to a place called Emmaus. They were on the road when they had this encounter with Jesus that led to a conversation and even a meal. They abruptly turned around and went back to Jerusalem to find the, the 12, actually 11 now because Judas had hung himself having betrayed Jesus. When they finally found them locked away, they gained entrance to the room. They said, we've got to tell you something. We have seen him. And that's where we pick up our story. In Luke chapter 24. Let me read it for you. If you want to follow along, it's Luke chapter 24. And we're going to start reading over in about verse 35. It says, Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road, and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself, suddenly standing there among them, said, Peace be with you. 
But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I am not a ghost. Because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. Still, they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Then he asked them, do you have something here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it as they watched. Then he said, when I was with you, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. It was like Jesus was saying, come on, guys, look at me. It's me. I'm here in flesh and bones. I, I've risen from the dead. It's I. I mean, remember me? We were together. Give me something to eat. Watch this, because ghosts don't eat, right? Spirits floating around don't eat. It's really me. I am alive. And I love the, the raw honesty of the passage of Scripture, because if you look at what it says in verse 42 or 41, it says, still they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Filled with joy and wonder. You know, I don't know if you've ever had an experience like that. It's kind of hard to figure it out. Like, how can you be in disbelief and then also be over here with joy and wonder? The closest I've ever been to that is when my wife, Marcia, and I had our, our first child, our oldest, Ben. I remember being in the delivery room when she finally gave her last push and the doctor grabbed him and, and kind of held him up and Marcia was just in tears and, and, you know, with joy and happiness about all of it. And the doctor, who was a follower of Christ, kind of held him up like, like, look at this miracle. And I just stood there, just staring, just frozen. And I remember going through my mind were all kinds of thoughts and one of them was, is, is what I just experienced here, is this real? Did this just really happen? Well, finally, when they placed him in my hands and my arms, when I touched him, when I held him, all of a sudden, joy just filled me up and, and happiness kind of took over. And it was like this, this mixture of, I can't believe this is happening, and yet this is happening, and, and how wonderful it is. That's what I think it was like for those disciples. On the one hand, it's like, can this be happening? Is he, is he really alive? And yet, wow, he's right there. And, and so there's this, this tremendous joy that was taking place in their lives at that, at that moment. And that, friends, is the message of Easter. The message of Easter is that Jesus has risen, and he's risen in flesh and blood. He's tangible. He's real. He can be touched. He can be experienced. Listen, Jesus is not a myth. He's not a legend. He's not some invisible spirit, you know, that's floating around there. He's God with skin on. He's God with skin on, and he will always be. See, I think we forget that sometimes. We think Jesus ascended into heaven and somehow he's gone back to some kind of a, a, a spiritual form. No, he's, he's still in that resurrected body. That's how much he loved you and me that he would take on a human body and retain that. 
just to be with us. Emmanuel, God with us. So, here's the question. How is it that you and I can touch him? Because he said to his disciples, touch me, see, and experience this. How, how can you and I live in the 21st century? How is it possible for us to touch Jesus? Us to be aware of him? Well, I think Jesus knew that we might be thinking about that and asking a question like that. And so there's an experience that happens next that helps us understand what Jesus means by that for, for you and me as, as modern people. You see, when the disciples were gathered together in that room, not all of them were there. One of them was missing, Thomas, and we oftentimes think about Thomas the doubter. So eight days later, it tells us in John chapter 20, they're gathered again in that room behind the locked doors, and the disciples are telling him, listen, Thomas, we've seen him, we've experienced him. And he's like, nah, I don't believe that. He goes, unless I actually see him with my eyes and stick my fingers on those wounds, I am not going to believe. And suddenly, Jesus was there. Here's what it says. It says, eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time, Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe, Thomas. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those, that's, that's you and me now. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. How do we believe without seeing Jesus? How do we touch him without actually physically touching him? The answer to that question, of course, is faith. By faith in him. But the question is, well, what do you mean by faith, Pastor Dale? What, what does that mean to touch him, to see him by faith? Well, you might want to jot this thought down. It means this. Faith means believing and trusting that Jesus is the end of the human heart's search for truth and meaning in life. Faith means believing and trusting that Jesus is the end of the human heart's search for truth and meaning in life. In other words, as we've talked about before, all of history points to Jesus. Everything culminates in him. Jesus is the answer to our needs, to our questions, to our desire for a hero to rescue us. And all through history, people have been looking for that person. There's still, so many are still looking for him today, and he's been there all the time. Jesus says, here I am in the flesh and bones, your rescuer, your savior, your hero, so to speak. I'm here to reconcile you, to be the bridge between me and the Father. Put your faith, put your trust in me. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, why do you keep emphasizing Jesus' flesh? You, know, you keep saying his flesh, his bones, his flesh, his blood. Why, why is that so important in, in trusting him when he's not actually physically here right now? Let, let me tell you why I think it's important to know Jesus this way, to think of him this way. There's a story in the book of Acts, chapter 17, where the apostle Paul is in Athens. He's passing through, and he notices all these different idols to all these various gods, and he 
finds one in particular that's labeled that it's to the unknown God. And you see, the Athenians were very spiritualistic. And like so many, even today, they were searching for meaning. They were searching for some kind of connection. They didn't want to miss out on any possibilities. So Paul says, I know who this unknown God is, which earned him a hearing at the Areopagus there on top of Mars Hill, where the philosophers gathered and, and Paul began to talk about this God. He said to him, this God is very close to you. He says, it's in him that we move and that we feel and have our being and our experience. And, and idols just don't do it because God is the self-existent one. And everybody's listening, fascinated by this. In fact, he says, we're his offspring. He created us. He's our creator. Everything was going really well at that point. And then he said, and then, and then he sent Jesus. He appointed him to be the one that would judge the world. And to prove that, that he really was, he raised him from the dead. And at that point, they started to laugh. I mean, they just, and I think it was a nervous laughter. They got really uncomfortable. And the whole thing broke up. And, and only a few people actually believed what Paul was saying and put their faith in Christ. Now, why is it they got upset? Why is it they laughed it off? Why, why the nervousness when he started talking about the resurrection? Well, as I thought about that, I think it's because what Paul was doing was he was introducing them. He was revealing to them the God they were not looking for. This is a God they did not want to find, a God who was resurrected in flesh and blood. That just makes God too concrete, makes him too tangible, makes him too, too real. Um, let me give you a, a, an illustration how I kind of think about this, and, and maybe it will help us grasp what's going on here. I don't know about you, but when, when you were growing up, did you have any imaginary friends? Like, you know, did you pretend you had a friend? I, I did as a kid, all right? And, uh, and, and you know, what, one of the things that's convenient about that is if you have this imaginary friend that you talk to, that you play with, that you think about, what's nice is that you can make them kind of who you want them to be. Uh, they can agree with you. They can go along with you. You're the leader. They're the follower. And uh, even if you want to kind of add a little spice to it, you can have them disagree with you, and you can get rid of them, right? I think sometimes that's how we'd like God to be. We'd like him to be kind of this invisible friend that we can manipulate and make him who we want to be and conform him to our image. And when we're kind of disgusted with him, we can just kind of, you know, get rid of him for a while and maybe bring him back in again. But when but when we start talking about Jesus with flesh and blood, that makes us nervous. That makes us uptight because I can't dismiss that. That means he's real. He's concrete. And it means, it means I can't manipulate him. I actually have to bow to him. It means that he's, he's indeed the Lord of life. And so I've, I've, I've got to follow him. And so Jesus introduces himself to his disciples as it's me, flesh and bones, flesh and blood. You know me. And I want you to trust me. And I want you to touch me with faith. And he invites you and me to do the exact same thing today. See, Jesus is not just another clue that leads us to God. All the clues lead us to Jesus. Now, as I say that to you, and, and as you're kind of wrestling with that, you might be thinking to yourself, yeah, but I mean, Jesus isn't like the only resurrected person, right? There are other people who were you know, dead and come back to life again. I mean, even in the Bible, how about, how about Lazarus? You remember the story of Lazarus? is in John chapter 11, one of my favorite stories. Lazarus and 
His sisters Martha and Mary were good friends of Jesus, and Lazarus had become sick, and word was sent to Jesus, please come and heal your friend, but Lazarus died before Jesus showed up. He was buried and put in the tomb, and he'd been dead, you know, several days. Jesus shows up, and he says, show me where he's buried. Well, why? Because I'm going to raise him from the dead. No, don't, don't do that. He's, he's, he's dead. No, roll the stone back. No, the stench would be terrible. He's, he's decaying. Jesus said, roll the stone back. And he prays to his father. And he calls and he says, Lazarus, come out. Lazarus came out, still draped and wrapped in those grave clothes. Kind of like a mummy, right? Walking. And of course, they had to strip that all off of him and clean him up. And it was this wonderful miracle. Look at the power Jesus has to raise people from the dead to life again. But listen carefully. It wasn't a real resurrection. It was more like a resuscitation. Yeah, he was dead and he was alive, but he's alive in that same old body. That means that Lazarus is going to have to die again. Very different from the resurrection. When Jesus rises from the dead, yes, it's him, but he has an entirely different body. It is a resurrected body. I mean, he's able to pass through the grave clothes and kind of leave them behind, folded there. You know, here's something interesting. interesting. When we read in the Gospels that the stone had been rolled back by an earthquake and by the angel, have you ever wondered why the stone was rolled back? You know, sometimes I think we think of that and we go, well, yeah, so that Jesus could get out. No, he, didn't, he could pass right through the stone. It was so the women and the disciples could get in to see that he was out. His body was amazing. He could pass through walls and lock doors. And yet it was very physical and very real. No, no, no. Jesus' resurrected body was very different and it would be a resurrected body that would be that way for all of eternity, never to die again because he beat death for you and for me. That's why in John chapter 11, when Martha says to Jesus, you know, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus says, he will rise again. And Martha says, yeah, I know at the end of the age at the resurrection. And Jesus said this to her. He said, nope, not that. He said this. He said, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live. Even after dying, everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. And then he says, do you believe this, Martha? And I would ask you the same question. Do you believe this? Jesus is the resurrection. He's the defeater of death. And he offers us this hope and this love for us. So what does it mean to put our faith in Jesus? First of all, it means to put our trust in the fact that he is the answer. He is the one that our hearts have been searching for. But let's look at a second thought about faith, and that is simply this. To put your faith and trust in Jesus is to rest in the peace and assurance that in him, you have your future. Look at that again. To put our faith and trust in Jesus is to rest in the peace and assurance that in him, we, you and I, have our future. Now, what does that mean? Well, when Jesus enters the room, he says to his followers, peace be unto you. In other words, what he's saying to them is, 
I've purchased peace for you. And now I want you to move into that peace. I don't know if you've ever seen those shows on television where they'll go in and either remodel or build a house for someone who can't afford it. And sometimes the whole neighborhood gets together and they do this project for, for some special people. And the folks stay away. They can't see the progress that's being made until finally it's all done. And then they're brought there and they have this huge welcoming party. They hand them the keys and they walk in. The camera follows them. And you see this beautiful home that's been totally renovated or built. And it's, you know, it's got everything in it that you'd ever want. And it's, it's just perfectly manicured. It's like, go explore it. In essence, that's what Jesus says. He says, I've done something new for you. I've, I've built something for you. I've purchased something for you. Now go in there and start to explore it spiritually first. But then listen carefully. Because in essence, what Jesus is saying to his disciples is, look, touch me. Go ahead. Look at me. Because when you see me, guys, you are seeing your future. Literally, you are seeing your future. You're seeing the body you're going to have someday. And not only that, but Jesus goes on and he tells us that he's going to remake the entire earth. He's going to make the entire, remake the entire heavens. It's all going to go back to what God originally intended before man rebelled in the garden. That perfect Edenic environment where we will be with him in fellowship. Look what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. He says, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. So Christ is there in resurrected bodily form in paradise. And that's where your loved ones and my loved ones who know Jesus go as soon as they die. Now, are they in a material form? Perhaps, we don't know. But I know this, that when Christ returns, we will all have a resurrected body like his because look what it says. And we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak and mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything. See, there's creation. Everything under his control. Isn't that exciting? In this day of bad news, with the virus and all the stuff that's going on, isn't it exciting to know that God has prepared for you and me a great and wonderful future? That's what, that's what Easter is about. It's what he has done for us. It's what he's purchased for us. And it's about what's waiting for you and what's waiting for me. There's this scene in the Lord of the Rings story by Tolkien where Samwise Ganges wakes up and he sees Gandalf and all of his friends around him. And, and he says, Gandalf, he goes, I thought you were dead. You're, you're alive. I thought I was dead. And then he looks at Gandalf and he asks him a powerful question. He says, Gandalf, does this mean that everything sad is going to come untrue? Think about that. You gotta think about that for a moment, don't you? Gandalf, does this mean that everything sad is going to become untrue? Yes. Yes. If the resurrection is real, Tim Keller says, then everything that is sad is going to become untrue. That is, there'll be no more sadness. That is, everything's going to be remade. 
refashioned. It means that in the future, we have so much to look forward to. You know, sometimes I talk to people and they talk about the regrets. I wish I'd gone there. I wish I'd done this. I wish I'd seen that. I wish I'd been and experienced this. It's like so, so much is in their past. You know, stuff I, I can't have, I can't do now. Listen, there's nothing to, to regret. We need to look forward, not backward, because there's so much that you're going to do and experience and be and have you can never dream of and have in this life, in this earth, the way that it is. And so that allows us to live in peace, says Keller. That allows us to, to, to live sacrificially and generously and to give and not to worry. Because it's not about this life so much as all that's waiting for us. That means that in this life, we can live full on for Christ. We can experience pain and we can experience suffering and we can go through hardship. Because we're like Jesus in this world. We are called, the church is called the body of Christ. We're here to be Christ for others. To help them see spiritually what we are all going to experience someday in a very real way. So let me ask you, have you put your faith in Jesus? You know, this Easter weekend, I want my friend Matt to share with you how he came to that point in his life where he put his faith in Christ. Listen to Matt. Looking back at my life, I built a pretty solid rap sheet with God. Partying, lying, cheating, stealing. I was a person who wanted to control my life. twenties my father passed away and I think that sparked a bit of a time to change my life attitude uh, I got married happily um, started a family started a business and was moving in the right direction we began attending Wooddale Church and I didn't know who God was but God was building up in my life and stirring something up in my heart that I couldn't deny. And I decided I was going to try to do something good for God and found a uh, mission trip, Guatemala. Leading up to the trip, something stirred up in my heart that I didn't really understand, uh, but it was a message about Jesus going to the cross. I was being asked, what, what does that mean to you? What is that in your life? And what does it mean to surrender to Jesus? I felt God was talking to me of all people, me. On the trip, I found out about a large hill on the side of town in Antigua that's famous for having a cross on the side of it. Like usual in my life leading up to this moment, I did things out of my own power and strength. And I was committed to finding the cross on my own. Somewhere along this rocky road up the hillside, there was a turning point. I think God was speaking to me, telling me that I need to surrender. I needed to realize that's what Jesus came down for, is for me to surrender to God and let him come into my life and take over. 
Then at the bottom of the hill, I turned around and went back and, and was just led to the cross. And I knew what I needed to do was just go straight to the cross and just fell down at my knees and just gave it all up and turned my heart over to Christ. I said yes to him and nearly instantly it was like this weight was just lifted right up off my back, relieving the shame and the pain and the guilt and things in my life that had been weighing on me. I knew without a shadow of a doubt that I had been forgiven. It was a real turning point in my life. And since then, I've had a hard time finding things in my life that aren't influenced by God and haven't been changed by that experience and, and God in my life. And at times they've even thought, why me? What did I do to deserve this? And that's when I remember how much and how great God's love is. And that's his grace and glory. Thanks, Matt. Now listen, I want to give you another opportunity to respond to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me ask you again, have you placed your faith in him? If you're unsure or you know you haven't, why not take that opportunity with me right now? I want to lead you in a very simple prayer. And I'm just giving you some words. You can use your own words. What matters is the expression of your heart, not getting the words exactly right. I'm just here to kind of facilitate that for you. So no matter where you are, whether you're by yourself or with your family or friends, would you all mind just bowing your heads for a moment and silently where you are, if you're ready to take that step, pray something like this. Dear Lord Jesus Christ, I believe that you are the Son of God. My belief isn't perfect. Help me with the areas I still struggle with in unbelief. Lord Jesus, I believe that you did die, that you did rise again. Strengthen my faith, strengthen my confidence. I transfer my trust to you. I want you to be my Savior, and I want to follow you from this day on. Thank you that you are patient. Thank you that your love is unconditional. Thank you that I am forgiven. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, friend, if you prayed that prayer for the first time or were making sure of something you were maybe doubting, then I would love to hear from you. And the way that you can do that is if you're watching on our website, you'll see that there's a button on the lower right corner where you can press, I said yes. And all you have to do is press that button and I'm going to send you what we call our Faith Starter Kit. It's an electronic version, all right? There's a devotional in there written just for you as well as some other helpful material. And early next week, one of our pastors, one of our disciples is going to call you and we'd love to invite you into either a one-on-one relationship or into a group. And we can do this virtually and begin to help you grow in your faith. Help take the edge off some of that loneliness that you might be feeling. Or if you're watching us on Facebook or some other means, all you have to do is type in this address, wooddale.org slash yes, wooddale.org slash yes, and we'll send that same kit to you and do whatever we can to help you in your faith. I want to thank you for joining me this weekend, this very special weekend. Those of you who are students, if you've completed your artwork, just send that in to us. We'll get it displayed. And I want to remind you that no matter how much bad news is out there, 
this weekend we celebrate the good news, the good news of God's love that was demonstrated in Jesus Christ and His promise that someday all this sadness is going to become untrue. God bless you. See you next weekend. Thank you.